0: We're up to Second Samuel chapter eight. Last time we saw that David wanted to express his heart that he wanted to make a home for the Lord, a very special place, and the Lord told him that wasn't his job. He was going to have it taken care of later, and and then he promised David that his family line would be on the throne forever. You know, the coming Messiah would come through him. So what a thrill for David to hear those words from the Lord and that promise, and David gives an awesome prayer to the Lord. So that's really a blessing to go through that passage as we come now to chapter 8. We'll see that David is really uh, filled with confidence in the Lord and the things he's about to do. So we come up to 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 1. After this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methig Ama from the hand of the Philistines and That place is the the town of Gath that uh, David had spent some time in himself. And it was one of the major cities that the Philistines had. So David here has gone into the territory of the Philistines and attacked them, which is kind of interesting. You know, we've been seeing for some time under King Saul that there was a lot of wars going on. But they were basically coming after uh, Israel. And Israel was trying to fend them off and having some struggles Uh, David just aggressively goes after these guys and actually subdues them, we're told here. And uh, he took some of the land from the the Philistines, as we said. This is one of the, that Amab uh, Gath, as we've been calling it in other passages. That was one of the great walled cities. And as David conquered the place, it severely weakened the Philistines' army. So he really backed them off in this situation. And you know, the Philistines, think about them, they've been A serious force against Israelites for some time. We're talking for centuries there. And now that David was walking with the Lord, you know, he was able to see great victories in his life against this enemy that's just been a real plague and a problem for Israel. So we get from this in the same way when we start walking with the Lord and line up with his word, you know, we can start to see some victories against our enemy, the devil, as well. And these victories, you know, they can be in areas where we've been defeated for some time in our life, but this is a a real word of encouragement to us as we see the victories that David's going to get right here because it really encourages us to continue to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust his word. And that's how we're going to see some amazing victories, just like David is able to take on the enemy here without fear, and he backs them off. It's really amazing. You know, it's interesting, too, that before David became king, the Philistines were taking territory from Israel. But after David started to reign, Israel has now taken territory back from the Philistines. So the enemy, he may have taken some territory from your life, you know, before you allowed Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. But now that Jesus is reigning in you and you've allowed him to take the reins, the Lord can get that territory back again. And it's just amazing uh, to watch the Lord do that as we surrender to him and we follow him, you know, and uh, take that position of submission to him and not try to lead him, but let him lead us. So in uh, 2 Samuel 8, verse 2, it says, Then he defeated Moab. So he attacked the Philistines, subdued them. Now he's going against Moab, another group here. It says, Forcing them down to the ground, he measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured those to be put to death. And with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and they brought tribute. They brought, put them under taxation. So when David defeated the Moabites, it appears that he had about two-thirds of them put to death. Now this was to cripple them so that they can never raise an army against Israel for a very long time. So this was done to safeguard Israel, God's people. Everything you see David doing here, he's not doing for himself. And we'll see that further as we get into it. He's seeing himself as the one that God put in charge to protect his people. So he's doing that. He's making sure Israel has a safe place to stay. And the Moabites that survived here, this line judgment, as it looks, would be called here, are going to end up being servants of David. And you think about this. I know some people look and say, wow, that was pretty rough, you know, killing these guys. But there's grace in here because David had the power to kill them all. But instead, he let some of them live. So we always want to see the grace that the Lord has here, you know, because the Lord's done the same thing. There's tons of grace in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Uh, People that don't see that aren't reading it close enough there, but there's a lot of grace in there. There have been some who have questioned this too. Why did David treat these particular people so harshly? You know, some think that maybe something drastic had happened to David personally to make him take this kind of action. And if you remember what we've been studying uh, for the last few weeks or so, uh, it could have been something real personal to David. We know that David led his parents with the Moabites. If you remember, uh, they were supposed to protect them while he was running from Saul. At that one point where David was, Going to go down into the Philistine territory. He knew it's not a good place for his parents to be. So he knew they had some ties with the Moab, and he put his parents there and they were supposed to watch over him. Well, we don't hear anything else in the scriptures here about David's parents. So it makes you wonder did the Moabites do some great harm to them or maybe even put them to death? We don't know. But it seems interesting that David came so hard against these people, too. Now, when you think about it, if you remember. Uh, David even has the Moabites in his bloodline. His great-grandmother was Ruth, the Moabitess, if you remember the story of Ruth when we went through that. So I'm sure David had his reasons, but he went in there and uh, he dealt with the Mo- Moabite folks as well. Uh, verse 3 goes on, David also defeated Hadadzer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. So it tells us here about him recovering territory. Uh, David is, he's taken back these areas that used to belong to Israel, and it goes back to the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. And as David is taking these places back, that covenant is actually being fulfilled. And uh, we saw that back in Genesis 15, where the Lord had told Abram that from the river of Egypt all the way to the great river Euphrates, all of this land was given to the seed of Abraham. So as David is doing these things, he's simply fulfilling the prophecy and the promise that God had given to Abraham. So it's pretty amazing to watch him do this. And man, he's just going forward and going forward and nobody's stopping him. And he's doing this for the Lord and for his people. Uh, in verse 4, it says, David took from this head of Dezer, this, this king here, he took from him 1,000 chariots. So it lets us know, this was no little bitty war that was going on. David went in and did some massive damage to these people. And they were, they were big groups. They had a strong military. So he took from them 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. That's a lot of people. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. So here, David takes all of these uh, enemies of Israel and now pulls them over on his side. And uh, don't you love it when the Lord turns things around on the enemy? You know, these folks, I'm sure, uh, thought they had the upper hand. Even though they saw David coming, I'm sure they're thinking, we got this. And man, the Lord just turns it all around. So these guys now, who used to fight against Israel, are now fighting for Israel. They've been brought on Uh, and at David's side so I see this too as a real interesting picture the Lord is using believers here to rescue others who've been working for the devil in the past now as they get saved they're working for Christ and not against him so the Lord did that with us I think of Paul as one instance you know he was hard against the church and the Lord brought him over to his side and now Paul was used mightily for the Lord. So I love it when the Lord turns things around. The devil looks like he's got the upper hand, and not so. <laughs> the Lord's able to deal with that pretty quickly. Then we're told about those horses at the end of verse 4. It says the Lord, or that David had uh, hamstrung them, so he had the tendon cut in the back legs of the horses so they could no longer go into battle. And this is another safety factor again. He's going to make sure these people are not able to round up their troops, get their horses back, get all their stuff going again. So he makes it so these horses are not going to work anymore for war. So again, these are some amazing safeguards that David did to help protect Israel in the future. You think about this, you know, if we're wise, we're going to set up some safeguards in our life as believers too. One of the most important things we can do to really slow down our enemy is to keep a consistent daily time of prayer and getting into God's word to hear what the Lord has to say to us. Our daily walk with the Lord will keep us safe from a lot of things. So take that to heart. I know the enemy works hard against us trying to get us away from that daily time with the Lord. He knows how powerful it is. He knows how the Lord builds us up and prepares us. To follow him. So don't let the enemy win in that. You you take control and let the Lord uh, have that time with you in the morning or evening, whatever you have chance. Uh, It's great if you could do both. In verse 5, it goes on: When the Syrians of Damascus, that would be way up north there, when they came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. So when the enemy here, try to bring in more troops to come against David, the power of the Lord has continued to carry David to victory. So we know this about our enemy, you know. He can bring in all the extra troops he wants. They're not a problem for the power of our awesome God. So we don't have to sweat it. You know, there may be times where we're going and we have some spiritual warfare happening and all of a sudden it starts piling up and piling up and we think, man, the enemy... He must have brought some friends with him this time, you know, but it doesn't matter. Our God is more powerful. So he carries us through those difficult times. Beginning of verse six, it says, then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. So after he defeated those folks, he now put some garrisons up there, the troops. And it says, and the Syrians became David's servants, brought them tribute. So so they're paying taxes to him as well. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So these garrisons now, they're placed there to keep a close eye on these people and make sure they stay under David's control. This is amazing wisdom, you know, that the Lord had given to David. It reminds me of our own country, you know, we set up military bases in in foreign lands, probably for the same reasons, just to make sure they're establishing peace there, you know. And then at the end, of verse six, that statement. Boy, if you mark your Bible, that's one to mark. It says, so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So we see here the key to David's success. And this should excite us, you know, because we serve the same Lord God that protected David wherever he went. And remember, Jesus promised us he would never leave us or forsake us. So he goes wherever we go too. That's amazing when you just stop and think about that. That's what David had, what was the key of his success. And we have the same promise from the Lord. Uh, verse seven goes on. David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Betha and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a large amount of bronze. So this gives us a little more insight too uh, it tells us David fought these guys, and we're thinking, okay, a war. Two sentences later, we're past it. But here he mentions some of the towns and cities. So this isn't a one-minute job. You know, this takes time. They're going different territories, conquering cities, and everything. It's a long process, and yet the Lord's town is very quickly like, it wasn't that big a deal for the Lord. He goes here, victory. He goes here, victory. He's taking land back for Israel. So here we have David, he's conquering these territories and it tells us too he's also gathering a great deal of wealth as well as just the land. So this is kind of interesting, the Lord kind of lets us in on something here. You come down to verse 9, it says, When Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toi sent Joram, his son, to king David, to greet him and bless him. And here's the reason. Because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him, for Hadadazer had been at war with (laughs) Toi. It says that Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. So here's this this king that was already at war with this guy and probably having a really rough time of it. The Lord has David go in and take this guy out. And by him doing that, he blesses this other group of people, this king Toi. So this king then sends his own son, Joram, to David. So he would be one of his trusted advisors. He would be a very honored uh, guy that's being sent here. So he comes to David, and it says that he's going to greet him and bless him, and he actually brings all these things with him, articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. So not only are they giving David thanks for for helping them and seeing this victory in their life, but also, I'm sure they wanted to make ties with him and say, hey, let's uh, let's be friends. We want to be part of what you got going here because they could see that you can't stop David and his God. Uh, he just keeps going and going. So this king here, he was thrilled with David's victories because it meant victory for himself in his own life too, okay? And you know, think about this. When we're walking with the Lord and we're seeing victories in our life because we're doing things God's way, it's benefiting the people that are around us too. You know, there's going to be those who are struggling with some of the same things that you and I are struggling with. But our testimony of God's victory in our life can encourage them to be set free as well. So be encouraged that the Lord is not only working in you, but he's working through you as well to bless other people. Just like this King Toy, he saw victory in his life because of the victory in David's life. That should really encourage us, you know, that, Lord, I know as you're working in me and you're working things out of me, that it's not just for me, it's to minister to other people. And uh, David is is a great example of seeing this happen. And uh, this king toy, the Lord lets us in on that one. So verse 11, King David also dedicated these to the Lord. So all of those articles of silver and gold and bronze that were brought to him by Joram, it says he also dedicated these to the Lord. And notice here, along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. It says from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadazer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So it may have looked like, as we're going through this and David's collecting all these articles, it may have looked like he was gathering all this wealth for himself, but he was actually gathering it for the future temple of the Lord. It's really interesting. Uh, don't be upset, you know, if people look at you and they think you're doing everything just for your own benefit. They don't know your heart. They don't know your motive. If you're busy serving the Lord and you're working to build his kingdom, some people might misjudge you too. I mean, from David here, if you didn't know much about him, think, man, he's just grabbing all this stuff for himself. But he wasn't. He was gonna store it up and dedicate it to the work of the Lord. So if somebody misjudges you too, don't worry about that because the Lord knows your heart and he knows your real motives. And it's interesting if you look at David's attitude here, he already knew that the Lord had told him that he's not gonna be the one to build a temple for the Lord but that one of his sons would have that honor. And I think when the Lord told him that, he wasn't even sure which son that was gonna be. So David's fully aware that he's not going to build that temple. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't sit around and pout about it. Instead, he was busy doing everything he could to help prepare this son, whoever this is going to be, to be able to build this temple for the Lord. And he was making sure that it was going to be done in the right time, you know. So you know when I see this, I see David's amazing attitude here. I say, Lord, help us. Help me. To have a positive attitude like this when you tell me no about something, you know, that I had in my heart to do. What a mature perspective we see in David over this matter. You know, it seems like it's so easy for us, I guess, in our spoiled culture where we're used to getting our way and doing what we want. That when the Lord tells us no, we might go sit in the carter and pout a while. But you don't see that with David. He just keeps going forward and collecting all this stuff, dedicating it to the Lord you can almost hear him say, well, Lord, I know you're not going to have me do this, but I'm going to do all I can. I can't build it, but I'm going to get everything ready that I can. You didn't tell me I couldn't do that. So we see David's heart. It's an amazing picture as the Lord lets us take a look at some of these things. So verse 13, David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. So the Lord, he's giving us little pieces and kind of snapshots of these victories that David had and all of a sudden like this one you see him pop up somewhere else and now he's taken out another 18,000 Syrians you know and it says here he made a name for himself when he did that we can imagine as we're reading through this it's like wow you know he's conquering these people and these people and these people and I'm sure people are saying wow you do not want to mess with Israel and David If he's looking your way, you might as well just as well surrender or come and shake hands and say, let's be friends or something because you're in trouble if he picks up his arms against you. So the Lord here, he's building David's reputation. And through this, you think about it, he's going to protect, he's going to further protect the nation of Israel because people are going to think twice now about coming against God's people, knowing that David's in charge. And boy, don't you wish that the Lord would raise up such a strong and fearless Christian leader in our nation so that people would think twice before they come up against God's people. Well, you know what? That day is coming when Jesus sets up his kingdom and he reigns for a thousand years. We're told that he's gonna rule with a rod of iron and nobody's gonna get away with anything, especially those who come against his people, the believers. So be encouraged. Uh, we go on to verse 14 says he also put garrisons in edom so he put some more troops in this place throughout all edom he put garrisons now to me that tells me that must really been a troubled spot that he's got to put soldiers all over the place to keep an eye on them so it says they put uh, these these uh, garrisons throughout all edom and all the edomites became david's servants And again, it says the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David put those garrisons everywhere, and this was to make sure that he was going to keep peace in troubled areas. And again, that's good wisdom. The Lord gave him to do that. So you think about our own situation. You know, we've got the enemy who's come against us, uh, probably a lot more so since you came to Christ, and maybe even before you had uh, Christ in your life. He may have had some strongholds he set up. He may have had some territory he conquered and took from you. Now as believers, there's nothing wrong with setting up standards in our life to keep the enemy at bay. You know, if we have weak areas in our life especially where the enemy likes to prowl around and get us in trouble, then set up some garrisons. It's a great a great wisdom from the Lord here. Get other believers praying for you in those areas. You know, some of the garrisons you can set up. Get some accountability partners to keep you strong. And again, stay close to the Lord yourself. Don't drift away by neglecting your daily time with the Lord. That's when things get messed up in your life. And then worry and fear want to come and set up shop. And you don't want that to happen. That can be a really tough time. So at the end of verse 14, we see again, the Lord points out the key to David's success. Says the Lord... Preserve David wherever he went. So twice here the Lord said that. Now David didn't have all the wisdom and the power and the strength on his own to have all these victories. That wasn't in David. And those things were supplied, that those things he needed, they were supplied by the Lord. That's because he stayed close to the Lord. So he saw all these things. And you know, the Lord's presence is always with us as believers in Christ, always. You know, we're the ones who get tempted and drift away, but God's presence is always there with us. He never turns away from us. And he loves being with us, which is why I wanted to really meditate on that a little bit as we're going through communion. The Lord loves our fellowship. He loves to be with us. I know it's hard to believe sometimes when we look in the mirror, you know, but he loves us tremendously. The Bible tells us he loves us as much as he loves his son once we come to Jesus, because now we're in Christ. That's an amazing picture. So if you've been drifting away, then take this passage today as the Lord calling you to come back and spend time with him daily, because the Lord sure laid that on my heart as we're going through the, the study here today. And you know, as David was taking back territory and defeating enemies of the Lord, it reminded me of the passage in Hebrews 12. So look over to Hebrews 12 a second if you want and take a look at this. Because here he is, he's able to take back territory that they had lost and been defeated in for some time. He's able to back off the enemies of Israel and see some amazing things done. So in Hebrews 12, for us New Testament believers, the Lord tells us this. Hebrews 12 in verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So all of those things that were were territories that were taken away or strongholds the enemy is setting up in our life. We need to get rid of the stuff that's in the way. Let us run with endurance. Then it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're able to take back territory because of Christ, and we're able to get rid of the strongholds the enemy's put in there because of what the Lord has done for us. So uh, that's a good passage just to encourage us to continue the race. Don't let the enemy have the upper hand in your life. Don't let him hold on to property that doesn't belong to him. And uh, we know the enemy doesn't play fair. He tries to take stuff from us, but... We stand strong in the Lord and see the Lord's victories he gives us, right? So back in Second Samuel in verse fifteen, says so David reigned over all Israel after he's made all these conquests and gained all this territory back. And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Now notice something interesting here. When Saul was king over Israel, His focus was on himself. You know, it was all about, I'm going to go after David. He's bothering me. He's a pain to me. I don't like him, you know, and I'm jealous or whatever. So it was all about him. But David's focus here, it's on God and on God's people. And David learned this focus a while back. You know, and the same principle will help us maintain our focus. If you want to look back to where David heard this, and we've looked at it before because it's a a tremendous passage. You've got to... An amazing leader like David, who is still held in such high esteem today, but in chapter five of Second Samuel, just a couple pages back, and verse 12, it says, "So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel it doesn't stop there, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel." So David realized that it wasn't about him. That's not why he's the king. It was about the Lord working through him to minister to others. And David remained humble. And that's the amazing part. Even with all these conquests, all these victories he's seen, and you would think he would be tempted to think, man, I've got this. You know, I'm untouchable. Nobody can stop me. But David, he remained humble. He knew I'm only here because God put me here. And my job is to work for his kingdom, to protect his people, and that's why I'm here. He understood that very clearly. So he remained humble, and that's the same principle that worked for him to keep his focus on the Lord. Because you know it's hard for us to keep our focus on the Lord, right? We get a lot of distractions, especially that one that's in the mirror we see every day. We're continually distracted. So this is the same principle that will help us keep our focus on the Lord. Stay humble. You know, and remember, it's not about you. It's about who the Lord wants to minister through you, okay, who he wants to reach there. And isn't it interesting that the Lord keeps emphasizing in this passage that it was his presence with David that preserved him wherever he went. I think it's interesting because that was the downfall of Saul when he was king. The Lord's presence withdrew from him. So Saul had the wrong perspective and then he thought it was all about him and it cost him dearly. Isn't it amazing? The Lord says, what would it value, what worth would it be to a guy to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So looking at ourselves does nothing but cause problems. Keeping our focus on the Lord, that's where we see victory. Isn't it amazing? So now, back in our passage here in 2 Samuel, the Lord's gonna tell us about the people that God raised up to come alongside David Uh, If you look at verse 16, it says, Joab, the son of Zerui, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Saraiah was the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, And David's sons were chief ministers. So all of these people listed here, they made it possible for many more things to get done than David was able to accomplish by himself. So he had help, okay? And let's look at some of the work these folks were responsible for. It mentions Job here being over the army. So he was the commander-in-chief over David's army. He would take charge of everything and let David report back to David and tell him what's going on. But David didn't have to be on the battle line every day to make sure he had to see what was happening. He had this trusted man right there. Jehoshaphat was called the recorder here. He's kind of like a business or office manager that he would keep track of things and he'd bring things to David's attention to make decisions if he needed to. These would be things going on within Israel, not on the battlefield or anything. Then you had Zadok and Ahimelech mentioned as the priests. So their job, obviously, was the spiritual oversight of the nation, and they were supposed to perform all the sacrifices at the tabernacle and make sure the people were walking with the Lord. That was their responsibility. Then you had Saria, uh, Saria, who was the scribe, we're told. That was like a secretary of the state. He'd be responsible for drafting official documents, handling uh, correspondence, and keeping the court records. Then it mentions a Benia, who was David's bodyguard, and those groups that it mentioned he were oh he was over. Uh, that would be the security detail around David. <laughs> so he was in charge of making sure David was protected. Then you have David's sons mentioned as the chief ministers. That meant that they were basically close advisors to the king. So you had all of these people that were mentioned here, and it's not a huge list. You notice, but there's a group of workers that worked alongside David, and they were a picture to me of the Christians in the New Testament church. We've been gifted by the Lord with some spiritual gift, whatever happened to you, whatever you received when you got saved, and those gifts are to be used in service to the Lord. So as the body of Christ has all the gifts working, when that takes place, many more things can be accomplished for the Lord, okay? Now, somebody brought up a very interesting point I thought was worth uh, looking at for a second here, you look at this small list that David has of people that are working with him to keep things going. Like I said, it's not a huge list, okay? And look how lean this government was that David had working under him, okay? No huge bureaucracy to bog things down. And do you know how they're able to keep things so lean, but still keep everything well oiled and well maintained? It was because the law of Moses was a standard of right and wrong. So if someone had an issue with something and they wanted to know what was right and what was wrong, they just had to refer to the law of Moses. Okay? They had no need for new laws to be written and added to all the time. They just needed to go back to the law of Moses. Moses' law was sufficient for them. And at that time, they had a great respect for the law of Moses, you know, and respect for God's definitions of right and wrong. And we've seen what happens when a nation moves away from God's laws, like our country has, and they've tried to redefine what is right and what is wrong. And when you start doing that, all of that stuff requires a bigger government, because you are gonna have to make whole bunch more laws and have more people to and take care of those things and try to organize them and everything else. So it's going to make a bigger government. And the sad picture of that is, because it's not God's ways, it erodes a society as they think they are smarter than God now. Then what a mess you're left with and what a weak and divided nation you get from that. Isn't that amazing? Back here is such a small group of people able to see a government work very efficiently, and it was consistent. They were not divided. They were all together because they had one law, one set of laws, and that's all that was what they had to deal with. Wow, we can learn something from folks here, right? I mean, uh, we wish our nation would go back to the Lord. You know, we kicked the Lord out in 1963. The school system removed the Ten Commandments from the school system and no longer allowed prayer And as we've gotten further and further and further away from God's laws, look how massive government is. Look how crazy things have gotten. How many more laws are added. I know you've heard they said that they could arrest any one of us any time because there's so many laws in the books, we've all broken something somewhere, somehow. Even going to the bank and withdrawing some money can get you in trouble. I mean, it's just amazing getting away from the Lord. So we're going to go just a little bit further into chapter 9. We've got a few minutes here I don't want to... Uh, Not let you have enough to chew on here. We're going to start chapter 9 and just kind of go through it in a light fashion because I want to make sure we can give justice to this chapter. This is an amazing, amazing passage the Lord shows us. And uh, I don't want to miss and let you miss out on on a really good feeding from that when we get a chance. So we're just going to hit it kind of lightly here. In uh, chapter 9, verse 1, now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him the kindness of, for Jonathan's sake. And you remember, Jonathan was a dear friend to David. They were closer than brothers. I mean, they, they really had a love of the Lord that, that held them together in a tight bond. They both loved the Lord uh, drastically and they loved each other that way too. So he's, he's now gonna try to take care of this situation see if there's anybody here who's a relative that's still alive because he wants to, to bless them, okay? And this was actually to fulfill a promise that David had made back in 1 Samuel 20, if you want to look at that. Uh, we looked through that when, when we first went through there, but I'll read it to you if you want, or you can go back and check it yourself. First uh, Samuel verse 20 and down to verse 14. This is Jonathan speaking with David, and he knows already David's going to be a great king in Israel, so he's, he's gonna get, uh, make a deal with David on some things. Uh, 1 Samuel verse 20, and down to, or chapter 20, I'm sorry, in verse 14. Uh, you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. He said, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And down in the same chapter in verse 42, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So in 2 Samuel 9 here, David is going to fulfill that promise and oath he made to uh, Jonathan was Saul's son. If there's any relative that's alive from from, uh, Jonathan's side, He wants to honor that that oath he made and and bless them and take care of them. So David's an amazing man of his word. The Lord shows us so much about the character of David. And normally what a king would do when he came in office, if there was anybody from the family line that was left, he would wipe them out. (laughs) Because down the road, you don't want them to take up arms against you and say, we're going to take this back for our family and have some kind of feud go on. So this is so amazing and so strange almost that David is willing to show kindness to this guy. And when he finds him and talks to him, that guy's going to think, too, that David's out to get him. Because that would be the normal thought, you know, that you're of the family line of the last king, so you could be trouble. So David asked the question there, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I can show this kindness for Jonathan's sake? So back in 2 Samuel 9 verse 2, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still the son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And we read about him before the Lord introduced us to him a while back. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, this is that son of, of Jonathan, it says the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Meshivapheth. And he answered, Here is your servant." So uh, this is a situation now where this guy has come to David. David has located him. So I'm sure David is thrilled to know I can show grace and kindness to someone like I promised Jonathan. Even though Jonathan's not here, I can still honor him and honor his name. So he's very willing to do that. Uh, We Remember, this guy is lame in his feet because of what happened. When uh, news came back that King Saul and Jonathan had been killed in the battlefield, Uh, Mephibosheth's nurse grabbed him as a young child and tried to escape. And when uh, she tried to leave, some injury took place. She fell or somehow he maybe even fell on him. But he ended up with with broken ankles apparently, and he's been lame in his feet ever since that time. So if you saw him, he wouldn't appear as much of a threat. (laughs) He doesn't look like a warrior. He probably really struggles to, to get around so he's brought before David and he falls in his face thinking that this is probably my last day on earth as if I haven't had enough trouble already. <laughs> so he comes down before him and he says, here is your servant. Uh, and David says in verse seven uh, to him, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. So he gave him all the land back and you shall eat bread at my table continually. So David said, you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm not going to hurt you. Instead, I'm going to do all I can to help you. I'm going to give you back the ownership of all the land that your grandfather, King Saul, had, you know, his family land. So he gave that back to him. And then he said, you don't even have to worry about living off of that land because you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life, (laughs) eating at the table of the king. So what amazing kindness he did show to this man, who the poor guy he didn't have much going for him up to this point, you know. Uh, You're thinking he's he's been on the run, he's been hiding, he's probably thinking, okay, I made it, I'm in a good secluded place, and all of a sudden a messenger comes and says, hey, David's looking for you. It's like, oh man, now what, you know? So as he comes, instead of feeling the judgment that he's expecting, he finds mercy and grace. Tremendous kindness from David. So this has a lot of application for us. Like I said, I don't want to even try to go there yet because there's so much in this story we want to pull out. And uh, it's just an amazing story. So if you can, this coming week, as the Lord gives you a chance to just read through this story again, meditate on the things that are here, and uh, take a look at the picture of Christ we have in here. We're going to take time to, to chew on that and really take it in because it's something you don't want to rush through. You really want to spend some time in here. So uh, let's go to the prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the grace that you show us every single day. And Lord, you allow your presence to be with us and we just are amazed by that. As you've shown us how David had such great victory because he remained in your presence, Lord, and you stayed with him to protect him. Lord, we just I want to thank you so much that you give us the same kind of promises, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. So, Lord, as we we see that, I can understand why you tell us we don't ever have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about the things in this life, because you're with us, Lord. You're the powerful God. No enemy can come against you. Not even when the enemy brings extra troops, it just won't phase you at all. So thank you, Lord, for the day you called us to be on your side. Thank you for the day that you revealed your son, Jesus, to us. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who has been drifting away, if we've let ourselves slack on the side of our time with you, our time daily in your word, I pray today, Lord, you would let us sense that tug in our heart of being called back to have that sweet fellowship with you on a daily basis. It's there for us, Lord. You wait for us every day. So, Lord, I pray you'd continue to tug at our heart Get us back in the discipline of spending time with you on a daily basis. Thank you for the many promises you give us, and thank you for letting us see this picture of David's life, to see his example of following you and what you did for him and for your people. And we pray you use us, Lord, to reach other people for Christ. So thank you, Lord, for every opportunity you give us, and we just want to give you back all the praise for that in Jesus' name. And we pray, too, if someone is here who doesn't know Christ, Help them today, Lord, to surrender to you that they might see that victory in their life, to know their sins have been removed and they're safe with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.